open up God's word. Um, I, I feel like I was praying over the last few days, Lord, what would you have me say? And I want to just speak a word of encouragement, a word of encouragement. Every now and then, our problems get really big. And we need to remember that our God is bigger. And every now and then, this world gets so overwhelming. But there ain't no mountain too big that God can't move. And, and I just want to remind you today that your God is bigger than your problems. Your God is bigger than your problems. Because our God has something ain't nobody else got. He's got resurrection power. He turns garden, graves into gardens. He turns bones into armies. And I'm believing that that's what God wants to do in this season and in your life. So if you have your Bibles, grab, uh, grab them and meet me in the book of Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 11. Luke chapter 7. I'll begin reading at verse 11. Hear these words of our Father. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, uh, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched beer they were carrying him on and the bearer stood still he said young man I say to you get up the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother they were all filled with awe and praised God uh, I love that they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This is news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Zoe, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this great church. Thank you for this great pastor, this amazing family. Father, I pray that you would restore their souls. Father, as we've gathered here today, Father, I pray that you would tune our ears to your voice so that we might hear you ever so clearly. Uh, turn our hearts toward you so that we might experience the fullness of all that you have for us. God, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you would have us say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Get glory in this place. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 This, this woman, this woman was in trouble. This, this woman was in trouble. The scene opens and she's, she's in a funeral procession. And, and she's walking behind her dead son. The text would quickly reveal that this isn't the first time she's had to walk behind a dead body. 
It says that she was a widow, and so her heart has been broken before, just in a different place. She had to walk behind her dead husband, and now she's walking behind her dead son. This woman was in trouble. The Bible, the Bible says that this is her only son, so she's lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son, and she's, she's in trouble because she's grieving the loss, but she's, she's experiencing loss on multiple levels at the same time. She, she's experiencing loss on multiple levels at the same time because you need to understand that her husband is gone, she's a widow, uh, and now she doesn't have a son. That means... She's not only just lost her family, but she's also lost her economy. She's also lost her economy. There's a reason, if you notice, Jesus always says, always look out for the orphan and the widow. Because culturally, widows were just like orphans. The cultural construct set it up to where if you were without husband or you without a male child, you would fall at the prey and be, be left begging for the hands of compassion in order for you to survive and for you to live because you would have no way of making means. So as she's walking behind her dead son, she knows that she's walking also in a procession that would lead her into an economic crisis. Although people are around and people are there and they're having this great, wonderful moment in service, she knows that she goes back to nothing. She goes back to the being at, 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 at the beck and call, at the, at, at, the, at the mercy of the generosity of a culture. This woman is in trouble. She's lost her economics. She's lost her husband and she's lost her baby boy. And here she's walking and we catch her right in the moment where it's all culminating. It's right in the moment where she's about to say her final goodbye to her baby boy. We catch her right when there are people around and they're wailing and they're crying. And in that moment, Jesus walks up into this moment and Jesus comes to this woman and he sees her broken heart. He sees the burden. She sees, he sees her dead baby boy and he walks up to her and he says two words. And these, these words, honestly, if I, as I look at them, they, they're, they're disturbing. They're, they're, they're slightly frustrating. They're, they're a little confusing. I, I, I don't understand Jesus's approach. Jesus comes to this woman. She is clearly heartbroken. She has a a heart that's broken in many pieces. She's lost her husband, lost her boy, and lost her economy. And Jesus comes, and Jesus, the way he chooses to approach her, the way he chooses to engage her, the words that he uses, is it, it's not what I would choose. It's 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 disturbing, it's it's almost offensive, it's frustrating. He he comes to this woman who's brokenhearted, and he says to her, Don't cry. If anybody has a reason to cry, it is, it is this woman. If anybody has a right to just let the tears flow down her eyes, it is this woman. Maybe, maybe it triggers the frustration that I have with the church because so many times we don't allow people space to lament. So many times we don't allow people the space to be broken. So many times we don't allow people the space to just be real and be honest about what's going on. Every day ain't always I'm blessed and highly favored. Some days I'm frustrated and about to cuss somebody out. I wish I had a witness up in here, a real witness up in here. Every day ain't praise the Lord. Some days are you getting on my last nerves. Every day, it's not always tears of beautiful worship and joy. There's sometimes when I just want to cry. 
There's sometimes when the weight of this world is so overwhelming, I just want to cry. And one of, the, one of the dangerous things about our culture is we don't allow people an opportunity to be okay with not being okay. It's okay not to be okay. Some of you are trying to navigate your kids at home doing Zoom calls and doing school and stuff like that, and, you have an, and you're feeling like you're failing as a parent. It's okay not to be okay. You ain't got to have it all together. You don't have to have it all fixed. You don't have to have it all put together. You don't have to have it all right. Some days you're just broken. Some days you just need to cry. Some days you just need to let it out. Gone are the days when in order to be Christian, we got to have it all together. No, the fact that I'm a Christian means I ain't got it together, but I'm holding on to the one that's got it together. And while I'm trying to get it together, he's holding me together. I said, while I'm trying to get it together, he's holding me together. While I'm trying to figure it out, he already worked it out. So why would Jesus say to this woman, don't cry, don't cry? Before I'm too critical of Jesus um, and, you know, end up struck by lightning because I believe in Old Testament Jesus. Old Testament Jesus will give you them hands. You know what I mean? It's just, let, let's not stray too far. As you look deeper in to the text, uh, this text is not originally written in English. It's originally written in a language called Greek. And that word cry there is the Greek word clio, clio, clio. Uh, and, and the Greek word clio, it, it's, it, it's, it's more than just the idea of don't cry as we would understand it. it, it it's more than this idea of don't allow tears to stream down your face. No, 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 no. Clio is much deeper than that. It, it has a greater meaning than that. The, the idea of Clio is one of one who, who, who releases a screeching sound, who, who wails in a way that... Uh, it, it's the idea of wailing as though there is no hope. Uh, it, it is a wailing out of a place of despair. It, 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 is, it is a screeching sound that says, this is the end, I have no hope. So Jesus walks up to this woman and he doesn't say, don't let tears stream down your face. No, 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 no. He says, don't Clio, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't walk as though there is no hope. Don't walk as though you are in despair. This is not the end. It is not over. Don't quit. Don't Clio. I want to talk to somebody today who may be discouraged. You may feel like you're overwhelmed. You may be on the verge of giving up. I've come to tell you your God says don't you Clio. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Lift up your head. Stick your chest out. Now ain't the time for giving up. Now ain't the time for giving in. If you still got breath in your body, you still got hope in your chest. Don't Clio. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Jesus says, I've come, and I know it's hard right now. I know it's overwhelming. I know your heart is in pieces. In your future, it looks like it's going to get worse before it gets better. But don't cry out. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Can I just encourage somebody? It's the hardest season of your life. And you're doing your best to, 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 to conjure up joy. and do, You're doing the best you can, but come on. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to, it's okay to lament. It's okay to let it out. It's okay to what? But just in your crying, in your losing it, in your giving up, I want you to know you can give up on yourself, but don't you give up on God. 
I, as a matter of fact, I think it's kind of good to give up on yourself. It, uh, uh, um, 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 in, in Matthew, uh, when Jesus preaches his first sermon, he actually talks about this idea of blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. The, the, the idea of poor in spirit is the idea of I'm giving up on my ability. I'm giving up on my, my strength. I'm giving up on my strategy. I'm giving up on my vision board. I had a vision board starting off with 2020. That thing is in the garbage now. Ain't nothing on that happening. But what if, what if you need to put your vision board away and pull out God's vision board? What if you need to come to you the end of yourself so that you might begin to step into the beginning of all that he has for you? Don't give up on God because he hasn't given up on you. Don't Clio. Don't Clio. He goes to the woman and he says, don't, don't Clio. And then, and then he says, it's the idea, don't give up because I, I see you. I see you. I see you. This funeral procession is interesting. I, I grew up in Mississippi, uh, uh, a black boy from Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, yes, I'm black. I know. It's, don't freak out. Don't everybody, don't open, don't like, It shocked me too when I found out. I was like, what? Oh my goodness. So, but grew up in a, a black church. And can I just tell you, yo, you don't want to miss ever going to one of, um, one of our funerals, um, uh, our our funeral. I mean, um, our funerals, funerals, um, our <laughs> funerals. Um, uh, yo, you you want to go to a black funeral uh, before you die? Go because 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 it, it is one of the most amazing experiences. You love to see, and I know that's strange. I know that's strange talking about a funeral, but we don't even call it a funeral. We call it a, a home-going celebration. Uh, oh, we 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 turn up at a funeral. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It it is a whole cultural moment. There's a whole thing. As a matter of fact, it begins. I I was at my friend's house years ago when his mother passed away. Y'all, I'm telling you, the ambulance hadn't even come yet before two of the sisters from the church pulled up and had casseroles and was pulling out dishes from the car to feed the family. I was thinking, now, how, she just passed away. How y'all already got food for her? Are y'all just cooking on Saturday morning? Mama, what you doing? I'm just getting ready just in case somebody go home today. I just want to be, I just want, I just want to have it ready, honey. I just want to have it ready. But it's, it's a whole movement. They start bringing food at the house, and people come and just sit with you and just be with you. And oh, when you get to the funeral, the funeral is a, it's, it's this, this culmination of emotion. It is, it is celebration of the life. It is tears streaming down. You will sing. You will laugh. You will dance. You will cry all in the first 45 minutes. Now, now before you get excited to go to a black funeral, there are a couple of just instructions I just need to give you. Number one, the warning, you need to be prepared. It could go from anywhere from four to eight hours. So you might want to pack some snacks, get some goldfish in your purse. You, you, you know, some Cheetos or something, you, you know. It, so it's going to go a while. It will be a couple of intermissions in between. You have a couple of breaks, but it could go a long time. But when, when I tell you it's this amazing experience, um, but a black funeral ain't got nothing on a Jewish funeral. Culturally, it, in the time of this text, culturally, what would have been happening pales in comparison to what I grew up with. Oh, at this funeral, they have literally hired mourners, people that it was their job to come and cry at the funeral. 
Like, how you interview for that job? All right, uh, regular cry, interviews at 1 o'clock, ugly, snot bubble cry at 4 o'clock, interviews here. Like, how you interview for that job? You know what I mean? So they got criers that come that show up just to mourn on your behalf. Uh, they, they, have, they have instruments. They have a band. That's a funeral band. Uh, culturally, some of the instruments that were, that were primary at a Jewish funeral was a flute and cymbals. Now, don't that want to make you cry? That does, that does not sound great at all. That does not sound amusing. And a flute and a cymbal, that don't sound good at all. Like, and, and you got all these people around, and you got people that are, that are, that are crying, that are on staff crying, that are, you got a band that sounds like a broke down something that you don't ever want to hear. It, feels like, it sounds like, sounds like a, a broke down elementary band. You know what I mean? Just the cymbals and flutes, and you got that. And then you got this dead body that's sitting there, and then you got this woman, and Jesus walks up, and he says, you got a lot of stuff going on around you, but in the midst of all that's going on around you, I see you. I see you. A lot of commotion. Some of you, you walk in and you got life going on and you got a whole lot of stuff going on around you. You got a lot of stuff happening around. It's a lot of circumstances and a lot of situations. And you almost wonder, does God even see me? I'm praying these prayers. I'm having these hopes. And I'm wondering, does he even see me in this season? Or is he so distracted by the smoke from the flames? Is he so consumed with the pandemic that he cannot see the pandemic that's going on in my life? That he cannot see the pandemic and the smoke that's coming up from my marriage? Can he see me? And I'm telling you, even though you got a lot going on, your commotion is is not a distraction from your God. Your commotion is not a distraction for your God. He sees you. He sees you. The word in the Greek there for see normally is the word blepo, which, is, which means I, I see you. I, I see you watching there on that red couch with your mom. I, I, I see you standing in there with a green jacket. I, 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 I see you. I see you sitting there with a cool bookshelf as your background. I, I see you uh, falling asleep on the Zoom, and it's, that's weird. Uh, but that's, uh, but, but I, I, I can see you. I can see you with you sitting in your bed with your hand on your face right there. Just look. I see you. I blepo you. I see you with the blue shirt. I see you. That's usually what the word I see means. But in the text, they don't use the word blepo. He used the word iodine, iodine, which is, which, is, which is bigger than the idea of I see you in that black shirt or I see you in, in, that, in that room. I, it's, not, it's not I see you. It's more so I, watch this, I, I see into you. I, iodine is the idea. I see into you. So he says to this woman, not, I, just, I just not only see you, but I actually see into you. I see your hurt. I see your broken heart. I see your fears. I see your struggle. I see what nobody else can see on the ground. <laughs> I, I see you got all the cool TikToks with your family, but you don't really show how it took three hours of broken down, a ground, somebody got grounded, and somebody was crying before you pulled together that little 30 seconds. You know what I'm saying? I was savage. Uh, yeah, that was you, was, you was a savage before the TikTok and on the TikTok. You, you. <laughs> See, God says we can put on all these facades and we can show all these people these things, but he says, but no, I iodine, I see in you. I see the real, real. I see what's really going on and you can't hide it from me. But watch this. What I see and the brokenness I see, here's the thing that just blows my mind. He says, I, not only do I see you, but I'm drawn to what I see. 
See, I don't know about you, but 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 I got friends that when I get when I'm there for them, they love it. But when I start getting needy and when I have brokenness, they start sneezing because they're allergic to my needs. Y'all ever have folks get allergic? When you get need, all of a sudden they get allergic and they got to go away. They got to step away. They start sneezing and the nose start running. You're like, I don't know if you got COVID or you just being a trifling friend. I don't know what's going on with you. But there are folks that aren't, when you need something, all of a sudden they have an aversion and they want to back away from you. God says, when I see your brokenness, I'm drawn to you. I, I, I see brokenness, I see despair, I see shame, I see guilt, and I don't want to run away from it because I don't run away from your brokenness. I'm drawn to it. You need to know that you've got a God, that you don't need to be afraid to show him what's really going on. Number one, he sees it anyway, whether you show it or not. And number two, what he sees, he's drawn to. So you're so used to having bad friends. You're so used to seeing people run away from you in your time of need. I'm telling you, you've got a God that's drawn to you in your time of need. There's a story of um, a speaker who uh, developed his career speaking for Alcoholics Anonymous events. Because he was an alcoholic who recovered in AA, changed his life. So he would give himself to speaking, and he was a very prolific, amazing speaker. Uh, he would give himself to speaking, and it was this one guy who was struggling with alcohol, and his, one, his, his, his family kept telling him, his wife and his family, his kids, they said, you need to go to AA, you need to go to AA, and he just refused to go. Well, somehow they got him to come to this event where this guy who was a recovering alcoholic, and AA changed his life, he was speaking. And at the end of his speech, the guy who didn't want to go to AA comes to the speaker and he says, hey, my family been telling me I need to go to AA. And they're saying that's the best program. And we, you tell me, why should I go to AA as opposed to anything? And why is that the thing that's going, that I really need to do? He says, well, first of all, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked. Um, he, says, he says, what you need to understand is when, when an addict is struggling, it, it, it's they're, in fact, actually in the pit of their life. They're in the pit of their life. And when you're in the pit of your life, people see you in that pit. And oftentimes, they just, they throw you a rope. They throw you a rope. Some people will throw you a rope of, of resources. So read this, you'll get better. Some people will throw you a, a rope of, of money. He says, Here, here's money. You can, you can pay for something and get yourself out of it. Some, some, some would even actually throw you, throw you a rope of prayer. I'm praying for you down there. But what I realized at AA, when I was in my pit of life, I'm down in the pit. And, and what we do at AA is we don't throw you a rope. We move the rope out of the way because we know the last thing you need in that moment is a rope. What we do is we jump down in the pit with you. And then one guy would say, well, what you do that for? Now you in here with me. Now we both stuck in the pit. He says, but yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. So I can bring you out. When you're in your hardest time, Jesus will get down in the pit with you and say, I've been down here before. I know the way out. I've come to bring you out. If you're in the pit and God's brought you out, you ought to give God some praise right now and say, thank you for being a God who will get down in the pit with me and bring me out. He's drawn. He's drawn to the pits. And he gets down in those dark places, and he says, now grab my hand. 
as I walk you to a place of victory. As I walk you to a victory. He says, I see you. I, I, I see you. Don't quit. Don't cry. Don't cry. And then he says, I see you. And I just don't see what, what you're putting up on the gram. I, I actually see you. I see the brokenness. I see the burden. Some of you have been praying, been praying and you're wondering, does God hear my prayer? Some of you have actually said those words. God, do you even hear me? Or God, can you even see me? I've come to tell you, God sees you. And what he sees, watch this, he ain't running from. He's drawn to. He's drawn to. Then Jesus does the unfathomable. If Hamilton was here, he'd say he did the unimaginable. Um, he, um, he touches the dead boy. You need to understand, first of all, it's not a casket like normal. It, it, it is more like a, a gurney, if you will. And, and his body is, is covered, but... But, but exposed. Um, um, so, so they're carrying him on a bear. That's what they would call it. it this gurney-like uh, 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 structure. And, and, and they're carrying him. And Jesus touches the dead boy and says, get up. Now, you need to understand, at that moment, every Jewish mind was lost. They lost their mind because the last thing that a pure, clean rabbi was a Jewish, the Jewish culture, they took very seriously their purity laws, their purity laws. And so for a rabbi, it, really for anybody, but especially a rabbi to touch a dead body, a dead body is deemed unclean. And if you touch a dead body, the penalty is now you are unclean. Now you would have to go to the temple and process and go through a cleansing process so that before you can re-engage in a culture, it is against the law. It is against the rules. It's just wrong to touch a dead body. I don't know about you, but I want to take 30 seconds and thank God that we got a God that'll do the wrong thing for the right reasons. He'll touch stuff that ain't nobody else willing to touch so that he might get glory out of he'll go to places where he ain't got no business going he'll touch stuff that he should not touch he'll save people that nobody thought should be saved i got a god that'll break the rules for his glory he touches the deaf boy and then he says to the deaf boy the impossible get up now this would just be downright rude and disrespectful if anybody else said it but Jesus. But since Jesus said it, he, he touches the boy. And the word there for the idea of he touches the boy, he touches the boy, but he touches him. Um, the word there is hepsado, hepsado in the Greek. It, and hepsado is a very interesting word. It, it, it does not mean to touch, to comfort. It is not a word that, it does not mean to touch to comfort, to bring comfort, to bring ease. No, 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 no. That is not hepsado. He touches the boy. The word hepsado means it's the idea to, to, to touch with the intent to control and manipulate. Um, to, to touch with the intent to control and manipulate. It, 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 it's kind of like this. When I remember being sick as a little boy, and, I, and I'm sorry, y'all, I'm a mama's boy. There's nothing like the comforting hand of your mother when you're sick. 
Like I can have the flu and be sick, and she just start rubbing my arm, just rubbing my arm, and just rub my head, and I just start to feel better. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm sure the, the Benadryl and the Claritin kicking in also helped. You know what I'm saying? But it, was, but it was something about a mother's touch where she would just say, they're there. Uh, they're there. They're, they're there. The comforting hand of a mother. Now, 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 I, I must be honest, there were other times in my life when that same hand Would, would grab that same arm, uh, but with a much different intent. Uh, uh, there, there are times when my mother, let, let's say I'm about to walk in the street and we're walking, she would grab my arm and she wasn't saying, they're there. No, she was saying, come here. She, she, my mother had a way of talking and moving her lips and expressing anger with a smile on her face just so the other people around wouldn't see what was really going on. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? My mama would have a smile on her face and she said, boy, come here. And, and I'd feel the death grip on my arm and I would literally levitate about three feet to wherever she was pulling me to be. You know what I mean? It it wasn't like a there, there. No, it was come here. She grabbed my arm with the intent to control and to manipulate to bring me from a place of danger to a place of safety. Oh, if you get it early, I won't have to preach as long. Come on up in here, somebody. In the text, he touches the dead boy not to comfort him in his death, but to say not there, there, but come here. I'm bringing you from death to life. Come here. You got a God that'll help saddle you. He'll grab you and bring you from death to life. He'll take a dead marriage and say, come here. He'll take a wayward soul and say, come here. He'll take a reprobate mind and say, come here. You've got a God that'll grab you and pull you from death to life. He wants to remind us that our God is bigger than our problems. Our God is bigger than death. Our God has resurrection power. Let me, let me just encourage you. Don't cry. Don't give up. Why? Because he sees you. Not only does he see the facade, he sees the for real, for real. And he's drawn to what he sees. In just a little while, his hand is going to touch the dead places in your life and say, come here and he's gonna bring life where there's death he's gonna bring beauty where there's ashes he's gonna bring dancing where there's heaviness can i just tell you you have to go through a little while first peter says after you suffered a little while you have to suffer a little bit because if you if you didn't have to go through the ashes then you would come out and your beauty would just be cosmetic if you, if you didn't have the heaviness, you would come out and your dance would just be a performance. But he had to take you through the ashes so you could come out with real beauty. You had to experience something heavy so you can come out with a transformative dance and not just a performance dance. He's bringing you from cosmetic to performance to something that's real and transformative. What do you do with a God like that? What, what, what do you respond? I'll, I'll close with this. How, how do you respond to a God who sees you, who... who who, who causes you not to quit, who, whose manipulating, controlling hand brings you from death to life. What do you do? How do you resolve? What is the appropriate response? Well, I'm glad you asked. In uh, chapter 7, verse 11, he, he gives us, it, verse 16, he says, they were all filled with awe 
and praise God. What do you do with a God like this? I, let, 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 let me leave this and lay this before you. Every great gift demands a great response. Ah, our God demands a great response. And Zoe, let me just tell you, this response, as they responded to this miraculous scene, they didn't respond in their hearts. I'm concerned about our culture today because we just want to respond to God in our heart. And, and we just want to praise God in our heart. And while that is, while that's significant, can I just tell you, they, didn't, they were in awe and they just didn't respond in their hearts. Every great gift demands a great response and it, respect, it demands a response in the earth. It's kind of like this. Years ago, I went to go see uh, Prince. Um, don't judge me. Don't, don't judge me. I went to go see Prince, and it was a redemptive experience. I'm not even going to lie. I'm going to tell you. I, I, we were at the forum, and Prince did a show. But the thing is, Prince did a whole show and didn't sing Purple Rain. And, and it was great. He left the stage and didn't do Purple Rain. And y'all, almost a riot almost broke out. Almost a riot. People started shouting and screaming. People threw stuff. When I started chanting, I didn't know that all that was going to happen. But, but, but it just started, and people were just singing, Purple Rain, Purple Rain, Purple Rain. And, and, and it was crazy. And then all of a sudden, at the, at, the, at the culmination of everyone's frustration, the lights turned purple. The music came on. Y'all. And then the words came out. Never meant to cause you any trouble, 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 trouble. Yo, true story. Purple tears start streaming down my face. I'm telling you, if he would have did an altar call, I would have joined the church of Purple Rain that night. But, but here's the thing. I didn't respond with excitement in my heart. I didn't sit in the stands and say, oh, the church that is purple is, is stirring my heart. No, we was all screaming, purple right, purple right, purple right. We were going crazy. Why? Because every great gift demands a great response. Back in the 90s when I was a young boy, I watched Michael Jordan leap over players go from the free throw line all the way and dunk. And when they was in Chicago at the stadium, they weren't sitting in there thinking, oh, Michael, what great vertical ability. What an amazing way he has with the ball to get it within the nets in a way that's so profound and so prolific. I'm stirred in my heart. No, they didn't do that. They was jumping up and down, knocking over nachos. I spilled my beer. I mean, my Coke. They was spilling stuff. Why? Because every great gift demands a great response. Tiger Woods, when Tiger won the Masters, they, they thought he'd never win again. They, and nobody ever thought he'd ever get that green jacket. But a couple of years ago, y'all knew it. It was on a Sunday morning. He won the Masters, and people weren't like, oh, wow, Tiger, what ability. Tiger has won the Masters yet again. No, they was jumping around. Yes, Tiger won the Masters. Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. Tiger did it. Everybody's going crazy. Why? Because every great gift demands a great response. Well, listen, if you can get that excited about a Tiger, let me tell you about a lamb. He marched up a hill called Calvary. They put nails in his hands. They put thorns on his head. But uh, they put him in the ground all night Friday, all night Saturday, but early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands so that you will know he has 
resurrection power. What do I do with a God who sees me? What do I do with a God who joins me? We love him. We surrender and we praise him. We're in awe of him. I can't thank him enough. I can't love him enough. And so we give him glory. We give him glory. We give him glory.